multicultural headquarters of the future capital of the free-thinking states of America known as Los Angeles, this is the Drunken Taoist Podcast. Tonight, Bolili's downright mystical powers of empathy teach us all to pay more attention to the world around us. Enlightenment by Moonlight Reflected in Llama Spit, a life story of one Siddhartha Gautama, spirits, ghosts, ant-paralyzing farts, the craziest freak I've ever met in my life, and staying open to the mysteries of the universe. And now, quietly awaiting my one-way ticket to Guantanamo, I'm Rich Evers. And my partner in crime, answering hopelessness with a defiant smile and a raised middle finger, Daniele Bolelli. Away we go. Hey everybody, welcome back. A quick note that this episode is brought to you by Datsusura, our friends with the incredible hemp material bags and geese and all kinds of great stuff like that, and our awesome friends at Onnit. If you need any sort of supplement, awesome weight training devices, the battle ropes are nutty, uh, all that's available, so... We're going to jump right into the episode, and we'll visit more about our friends, our sponsors, as we move along. Absolutely. So thank you so much to Datsusara. Thank you to Onnit.com. There are links in the episode notes if you guys are interested in supporting a sponsor, buying some of their products, and you get a discount when you go through our link. Similarly, for our affiliate sponsors, Shore Design T-shirts, Coracao uh, Chocolate, and Audible.com. You guys know the drill. Amazing T-shirts, awesome chocolate, uh, audiobooks. You are in the market for any of these, please go and uh, episode notes, use our link, and again, you get discounts. We are doing things a little differently this time, so we're going to try to cut down dramatically the time we spend in the introduction so that you guys don't have to sit through 10-15 minutes of introduction before we get to the meat of it all. So we'll, when we wrap up, we'll throw a few other messages regarding donations and our t-shirts and all that other stuff, but we'll break it into the way right now. We just thank our sponsors and at the very end, we'll wrap things up. Now, it's not everybody's favorite rant time, but but you dropped a little early news on me while I was talking to you on the phone on the way over. You're going to be nice? Yeah. I Actually, I am nice a lot of the time. I just mask it well. Well, okay. Well, I'm, I'm going to sit back and see. I'm a bit nervous. Um, rant today, I would like to chat about empathy. As in, uh, one of the most important things you can ever learn in life in so many ways. And I'm even talking... Okay, forget being nice for a second. Um, that didn't last long, right? The, it was a good try, though. Yeah, but um, even strictly from a practical standpoint, empathy is the most important thing you can learn because it's the difference between really feeling what's going on with other people and understanding where they are coming from versus just running, living in your own movie where you're just you know, all the other people around you are just props in this mental movie that you're running that doesn't really have anything to do with the reality that they are going through. And why is that bad? Because uh, A, you're a selfish bastard. B, you are completely misunderstanding what's going on around you. And then you're going to be all surprised when people don't behave as the character you had signed to them. So empathy is what prevents you from doing that, prevents you from going... 
but I thought he was such a nice guy. But, you know, all of that kind of stuff. But it's always, it is the golden rule, right? And it does exist in most religions, doesn't it? Do unto others and that sort of concept? Yeah, to me, even before you even do, because that's a choice, right? What you actually, the way you act, that's where the choice elements come in. Right. I'm taking it at empathy, empathy 1.0, just very basic. Um, just being able to understand where people are coming from, being able to feel where people are coming from, being able to basically look at the social reality for what it is rather than what you imagine it to be. Isn't that unteachable? Um, I'm not so sure because it could be in the sense that for me, this is all really weird to me because for whatever reason, that's something that I've always had a lot of. Um, and to the point of downright, I mean, some things being downright weird, where it looks like I'm having some weird psychic moments, where to me they are not at all. It's like, it's right there. Look at that guy. Don't you see it? It's right. He needs a hand right now. Yeah. And I mean, even in ways, to me, it gets interesting. It's like, if you try it as an exercise, um, go on Facebook, do whatever, or just look at um, pictures of people. That way there's no pressure, they're not in front of you, they're not, you, you just look at their face, you look at their body language, you look at the way they smile, you look at the, and there's nothing rational that pops in my brain that say, oh, the smile is turned one quarter of degree downward, that clearly means, whereas, <laughs> you know, the left shoulder prop is not like that, it's not this analytic, weird body language nightmare thing. So I don't know what I pick up, but to me, you pick it up by looking at them, by seeing their images. People are like, oh, you can't judge on appearance. Oh, trust me, you can. Because it's not just appearance. It's not superficial. Like we say appearance like it's something superficial where the real you is the stuff that you're going to share when you talk. No, the stuff you're going to share when you talk could be a bunch of bullshit. A lot of the real you is how you stand, how you talk, how you smile, your vibe, your, you know, that's because that you can't fake it. It's hard to fake. Or, I mean, you can fake it, but if you are any remotely good at empathy, you'll see right through that. So that's why to me, we're like, well, you just met somebody. How can you say maybe they are having a bad day? Maybe they are putting their best face front. You see that too. You know, you see the difference between somebody's just having a shitty day, but you can feel that they are a certain kind of person versus. If all you can see somebody's having a shitty day, then, oh, bad, negative, and evil, well, again, it's because you're not seeing far enough there. So my thing is, start out this way. Look at people's pictures, and without judgment, without expecting to be right or wrong, without even caring, just try to verbalize, at least to yourself, what comes to mind when you see that person. Uh, beside the obvious. He's got funny teeth. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> you know, beside, uh, beside that part is what do you feel about the human being? Are they happy? Are they sad? Not just in that image. Like, how do they live their life? How do you picture that person in whatever mental context you're imagining? How would they react if certain things happen? Uh, and, you know, you start running your mental thing, see what happens. And you would be surprised how often those feelings that feel like just random ramblings may end up being true. Like I've played it as a game, even at like parties or situation where I may know two people and I don't know anyone else in the room. And 
these two people know other the other ones in the room and so they are like so what do you what's going on with that person and i'll just go on pure bullshit right i'll just go ah this happened ah, i don't know about the relationship with their parents either you know <laughs> completely random stuff that seems random except that that's what comes out when i look at that person and on a fucking i mean if this was um I sh- you know, there should be an element of surprise, but by now it's like so much like math. It's like almost 99.9% of the time is that on that it's not even like I'm proud of patting myself on the back saying, oh, what an amazing skill I have. To me, it's like, it's like breathing. It's kind of natural. And so my only thing that seems strange is the fact that a lot of people don't have the same thing that don't seem to be able to. So Kreskin Bellelli will be available for uh, parties. Uh, we'll start signing him up immediately. He can yeah. come and judge your friends for you. And Anytime. She obviously stepped in poo on the way over here. Yeah. You can tell by the way she's leaning to the left and dragging on your carpet that obviously uh, it's been a good day until that moment. Yeah. And I mean... Absolutely correct! <laughs> And it's not even about judging, you know what I mean? Because that's the danger, right? Is if you see certain things, you start saying, oh, fuck this person, this is bad, this is good. This is... No, it's not about judging. It's about seeing what's what's there, you know? And what's there doesn't mean just because you have insecurities, just because you have issues, just because you have weaknesses, that doesn't make you a bad person. Fuck, everyone does. I do, everyone does. There's no no exceptions. So it's not about looking at people with this evil eye of like trying to see their faults because it's like, you're just looking at them for who they are with all that that encompasses the good the bad everything in between and uh, and again some of this stuff can get really weird the um, like i had one the other day that was pretty funny the somebody was describing me these common friends of us his girlfriend and i saw a couple of pics and they just threw you know not much about her just a little bit and at one point i threw out hmm I don't know. She strikes me as weird. She strikes me as the kind of girl that would like, before you know it, she was asked to drink your blood or something. The dude goes white pale and goes like, fuck, that's exactly what happened. Like he beat his lip and sucked on his blood and he was all pissed off. And I was like, really? I mean, the blood thing, this is weird. That's weird. Weird. That one's officially weird. Yeah. Um, So if you got vampires and you need to get rid of them, Bellelli is available because yes. the party thing's not really flying off the shelf just yet. So vampire detection needed in your life? Yes. Come on by. And uh, sometimes it's disturbing. You know, I remember being, fuck, I forgot where I was. I was traveling and I was um, inside a store and I look at one of the employee and I was like 700% sure that the dude was a child molester. And just like, to me, it was like, that's it. I know it. It's, I don't know if he acted upon it or if he just fantasizes upon it. But the fact that that's where his mind is, I had no doubt in my mind. Now, that one I didn't get to verify, so it remained as a feeling. But it's like one of those that comes out so damn strong that I'm like, again, had I been proven wrong multiple times, I would say, hmm, let me think about it. Now, there are times when I have no fucking idea. Okay, I look at somebody, I look at a picture, I look at a person, I don't get much out of it. So that's what happens. The bad side is sometimes I don't read it. Rarely I feel like I read it completely wrong, where, and I say rarely to be nice and humble, but... <laughs> and But then again, you know, now that I've uh, pumped myself up as a psychic, Bolelli, whatever the fuck... You should see his new hat. Yeah. <laughs> let's, uh, let's talk about what, how does this um how does it work 
how can anybody play with this kind of concept? How can that change life in a lot of ways? Because and, you can definitely see the people that exist without any. Your, oh, yeah. your corporate raiders or the uh, the guy in Mumbai with the 38-story house that lives with a million people in a slum at his feet. I mean, they obviously must have no notion of this. Or how could you get through your day? And that's the empathy, again, in a, with the value as a good thing, you know. There's also, you know, the people who lack it and they are super nice people, not because they lack empathy, meaning they lack compassion. So not in that sense, but empathy as inability to feel what's going on inside another human being. They may be the sweetest person in the world, but they have no idea that the person they just married is an ex-murderer. And you're like, fuck, you're sweet, you're really nice, but you're living your own dream and you don't realize what you have right next to you. You just don't see it, you know? So it doesn't make you a bad person that you don't see it or you don't feel it. It's not a moral quality, this business about empathy the way I mean it, at least. It's um, it's like an ability to read. You know, if you can't read, is nobody taught you, that doesn't mean you're a bad person or you're even stupid. It just means you don't know how to read. That's all. Same thing with empathy in this case is about you just haven't developed, for whatever reason, that one thing that allows you to look at that person and read them and feel what's going on. And so to me, step one is uh, start doing that, you know, and without judgment, just seeing allowing yourself to have uh, feelings responses things on purely superficial things on just looking at somebody without uh, without trying to because that's the problem we censor ourselves a lot it's like i shouldn't judge you're not judging you're looking and seeing what you feel yeah but that one's got funny teeth (laughs) and the thing is when you do that stuff start coming up Stuff start coming up, and if you get to verify it at any point, I mean, in most cases, you won't be able to, and so it's just random feelings that pop up, and you don't know if they are accurate or not. But when you do start verifying some of these things, well, let's see where that goes. Let's see if that actually means that you are picking real stuff or you're just running big novels in your head. And uh, But it really doesn't start in any other way. And it starts with, um, in many ways, this business about empathy is about stop for a quarter of a second to only pay attention to yourself, your thoughts, your feelings, your needs, and try to see where somebody else is coming from. Um, what's their emotional state? What? Uh, and again, you can play some what ifs. You know, it's like, if I were to say this thing right now, how do I picture this person responding? And then you can try. You know, don't do it where you say, you know. Something <laughs> horrible. Yeah, exactly. But, you know, do like little experiments that are not altering your relationship with this person in dramatic fashion, but see if you're correct or not. You know, you throw some things out there or you surprise them with something or you do, and you see if the way they react is similar to what you expected or not at all. Because maybe, you know, it's the classic thing. You buy the great gift or the surprise that you would be thrilled with, and they are like, oh, that's so nice. Thank you. You know, clearly it doesn't do it. Right. Because you are working on if I were them. No, no, that's not the point. Is look at them. What, how would they react? Not how would you react in their shoes. Is how would they react? And um, I mean, sometimes the how would I react in their shoes works because there are certain basic human things that everybody responds to to some degree or another. 
So you can't expect to just say something horrible to somebody and they'll take it in stride and say, oh, thank you for enlightening me about that. And uh, now, you know, and then you're going to be friends. It's not going to work that way. There are certain things that rarely are going to. But then beside the obvious of the shared human qualities that most everybody share, looking at uh, um, that person, that person, emotional makeup, history, vibe, how would that one respond to that particular stimulus? And uh, and again, this is a way to test it, where you can start seeing if uh, you are if you are developing that muscle, if you are developing that ability to feel them, not just your projections, or if you are making stuff up. It's funny we um of all things we were doing the Captain Phillips premiere of the weekend, you know mm-hmm. the Tom Hanks movie, yep. and you always get handed. You know, here is the list of questions that we expect you to respond, you know, to give. And our producer changed it up a little bit and said something that we had never asked anybody before. And he said, how proud are you of this movie? Mm-hmm. And it was amazing the reactions that came because they had never heard that question before either. Right. And the responses were so genuine mm-hmm. that these guys were really proud of what they had done. And that sparked it, kind of ignited. Right. So as a test question, I might think that's a nice one to try with people as you, you know, encountering your life and da, 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 and I just did this or that or look at my new artwork or whatever mm-hmm. it is. Well, are you proud of it? Right. Will definitely get you deeper in to respond. And instant, too. Yeah. It was yeah, like, yeah. it just clicks on the way. Oh, by God, I am proud of this. Anyway, that's no, what I get from what you're saying. No, but that's exactly the way, you know, asking. It really is about paying attention. It's nothing any deeper than that. It's asking certain questions and really seeing how they respond. Not anticipate it, not think about 17 other things when you're talking to that person. It's really when you want to turn it on, you really need to focus and pay attention and and kind of open up to what um, comes your way, what feelings it elicits inside of you, what kind of thoughts and emotions and everything and that to me is how you develop that muscle and uh, the more you it's like anything the more you do it then the more the stronger it gets in that fashion so it's um and you know you're around human beings all day long anyway so snap out of your fucking head for a second and actually pay attention to them and see now this is where empathy as a positive value comes in because so far there's nothing positive or negative in a moral sense it's purely about Empathy is an ability to read reality for what it is. Nothing more, nothing less. You feel them, not because to, in the sense of empathy, as you feel it and then you're going to be nice to them because, no, that's the next step. Once you read the people for who they are, or at least most of the time, then you have choices. Because you actually feel what they feel, it gives you a greater sympathy for them, it gives you a greater degree of compassion it makes you a kinder human being because you're, again, you're acting from understanding where they are coming from. You understand their journey and as such. It makes you a little nicer to them. It may not. You also, it might throw the shields up when the child molester guy is around the corner. Well, yeah, in that case, that's a good idea because, I mean, again, compassion is just because, and that's the thing that people misunderstand sometimes, just because you understand something doesn't mean you're justifying it. You know, just because you understand how somebody got to be that way. And that's another obstacle to empathy is that, especially when we're talking about dark, ugly stuff, people don't want to understand it because they feel that if I get it, then I'm justifying it. I'm making alibis for him. I'm saying it's okay. No, you're not at all. You're only getting to how somebody got to be that person. Doesn't mean you're approving it. Doesn't mean you're giving it thumbs up. 
uh, it may just mean that you put a bullet in their head. That's just, you just mean you get it. That's all. So big difference between understanding something and justifying something. And that's where the choice comes in. You can use empathy to be an evil asshole who's just um, using your knowledge of other people, what makes them click, what makes them vulnerable, what makes them open up, what makes them their defenses come up. You can use that knowledge to completely fuck them over and just manipulate them, right? That's a choice. Now, it's not my choice, not because I don't even know why it's not my choice. You know, it's like I can't even explain why to me that's gross. It's just natural to me. It's like that just gross. I don't want to be that person. Is there any deep, you know, because I don't believe necessarily in this otherworldly morality that falls from the sky that say you have to be good. I don't know why. I'm not sure why I want to be empathetic in a nice way. It's just how I am. It works for me. Um, some people are not, you know, a lot of, um, if you read, read, um, read a lot of like 48 laws of power, um, 33 strategies of war and so on, Green loves to play bad boy and play, he gives excellent advice when you come to understanding people, rea- understanding reality and so on. And then it's all about, you know, how to, uh, use this knowledge for your own benefit and fuck everything else, you know? And I think a lot of it is an act. I get the feeling that I don't necessarily think that that's who he is. But, you know, part of it is, it's like the Force in Star Wars. Um, the Force is accessible whether you're a nice person or whether you are Darth Vader. You know, doesn't, is, it doesn't morally discriminate. Uh, access is, uh, is not based on morality. And so in that sense, having, you know, the fact that you can tap into the Force, that's your Jedi training, but then how you decide to use it, that's your choice, you know, and nobody can make it for you. Um, so some people will use that knowledge for very evil reasons. Some people will use that knowledge for very nice reasons. Because, I mean, one of the beauty of things is that if you get it, then you can use that knowledge to avoid stupid fights, especially with loved ones. You know, you know where they are coming from. You know that there's that one button that you shouldn't push because it's only going to lead to needless shit. <laughs> And, you mean the well-worn button? Yeah. Yeah, yeah. I'm not and, familiar with that at all. And then, uh, you know, you know how to dance around it. You become like, it's like social tai chi. You know, you flow with it with their energy. And it may be an energy that's driving for a fight, but you know exactly where they are coming from, where they are trying to push, why they are doing it. And you are able to redirect it by not reacting, not meeting it at all, because you know what's happening before it even happens in that sense. Not because, again, you're psychic, but because you can feel where they're coming, you know where that energy is going, and you find ways to stir the conversation in a way that makes them feel accepted, makes them feel okay, or make that one issue that's pissing them off. There are ways around it. Uh, Again, easier said than done. Sometimes there aren't. But, you know, in a lot of cases, you would be surprised to how many stupid fights you can avoid in this fashion. Or at work, you know, somebody's not a bad person, but there are certain things that you should really, you shouldn't go there with them. And it doesn't mean you're fake because you're not sharing 110% of yourself. Is their ability to... Certain topics, they are not going to understand what you're saying. They're only going to, their defense is going to come up. They are going to get bugged. And you're not being fake by not sharing how you really feel about that topic. 
you just know that that's way beyond the range of understanding. And if you go, it's like if you talk about, you know, maybe you have some really nice person that you got along with, but if you ever were to mention the word, I don't know, whatever, um, psychedelics, for example, you know, they would flip because in their mind you would be, drugs are evil, they're bad, they ruin everybody's life, and and all of that, you know. So if if you go there, even though you may have perfect reasons for why you feel the way you feel, that they are not ready for it. And so if you want to go there, you have to do a long, slow preparation around over weeks, over going in a way, going through their eyes, through how would they accept something like that, not why you like it or why you accept it. And, you know, in that fashion, again, you can avoid so much needless trouble. That's not even funny. I can't help but ask, but how did the 20-year-old Daniele use these powers or were they even present then or is this something that as you get closer to 40 finally just sort of awakens no i mean that's the thing to me that's why to me is hard to give how to of this stuff because i mean there are people have a tough time with these sort of things i mean it's just obvious that they're they're quick triggered and always feels like everybody's trying to get in on them and uh as you get older you're like no it's just everybody else trying to make their way through just like you right takes a while to realize that yeah i mean there are like 7 million things that I lack that I feel like, fuck, I suck at this. I'm awful at that. I could really improve on that. This is something that I kind of had from the get-go. I Maybe I was an only child. I didn't have that much stimuli around in that sense. I had to pay a lot of fucking attention to what was around me. I had more... I don't know. You know, I have no idea why. Could be, you know, I... One day when I was born, uh, a llama spit under the moonlight and the reflex of the moonlight through the flying spit was caught by a meditating Tibetan monk in that second whose enlightenment was prompted by this event and I was born in this second and I grasped some of that enlightenment. That was going to be my guess. Yeah, exactly. So, you know, there's that. There's that possibility. I don't fucking know. (laughs) But um, what I do know is that that kind of stuff I've had, it's... um, has become easier than to adapt it, to learn about it, because it's like anything, you know, the more you actually try it in reality, and the relationships are great for that, because it's not somebody bad and evil they are dealing with, at least we hope. You probably pick somebody who's a nice human being, but there are the spots where you don't click, or they have their defenses, or they have their stuff, so when you again and again and again you bump your head into why am I fighting with this person I love? Why am I pissing them off? Why are they pissed? You know, that kind of thing. That's great. It's a gym for this kind of stuff, right? It's like for reading where they are coming from, for understanding their emotion, all of that kind of stuff. Relationships are awesome for that. And then, you know, there are other ways. But um, And then the beauty of this is that sometimes you know what the right thing to do is, what the right thing to say, but sometimes you can tell. You're like, you know what? I know that this is not going to be the way it goes well. It's not the diplomatic thing to say, but fuck it. Uh, this time I really feel like doing it anyway, which is okay. If it's a choice, if you understand what the consequences can be and it's a choice, good for you. You know, that's where the choice element come in. So it doesn't always mean you have to be smart and wise. Sometimes it's <laughs> worth not to be and it's okay. You just need to go with it. You need to go there. You need to talk about that one topic that they are not going to get just. And again, as long as you know what the possible repercussions are, go for it, you know. I got nothing to add. <laughs> so on that note, go do your homework. Today, seriously, start 
paying attention to who's around you, what makes them thick, what, by the way, that was supposed to be thick, T-I-C-H. Oh, I, I thought I said, well, in any case, I can't say anything. So correcting one word, it's pointless. But the, um, yeah, I mean, seriously, just use it as homework. Use it as something that you do from now on, whether you're checking out people's pictures on Facebook, whether you are uh, talking to somebody who is next to you in your relationship, in your whatever that may be, just paying attention to what's around you is the key. Absolutely. You can definitely incorporate it into one of my favorite games, which is called Count the Smiles. Uh, often good at the airport, mm-hmm. uh, or as I learned just yesterday, paying uh, some traffic citations at the, at the uh, Superior Ventura Court. Uh, not a lot of smiles, but plenty of opportunity right. to uh, be empathetic to your fellow uh, trapped by the goddamn. Oh, we've got the we've got the photo stoplights yep. up there. Which one more shows that the Matrix has already taken control <laughs> than the machines are writing the tickets already. But uh, I'll digress. Anyway, great great opportunity to try that out. Yeah, that's a fact. And. Uh, <laughs> And uh, speaking of the photos thing that I was mentioning, that, by the way, teach you about what's considered attractive and what's not. You would be surprised once you, once you go down an uh, empathy path, how often people that are supposed to be super attractive um, suddenly realize, yeah, they are hot physically in terms of three-dimensional, you know, they have all the right stuff in the right place but you feel nothing for them in terms of attractiveness. It's, it's just a, like, it's yeah, because you feel the vibe. You feel the vibe and there's something else going on. So now again, if you are sexually starved and you haven't had any in a long time and you see this super, it's like, yeah, that's hard to separate at times, but maybe not so hard because the demon screams pretty loud no matter how pretty the package is. So it's, um, it's an important skill. For a visit into Bellelli's dream time. Well, I can only imagine people are standing by with bated breath to wonder what this week's amazing dream in the Bellelli dream uh, escape. This month, I don't have a dream, which would have made for a really shitty Martin Luther King speech. Yeah. You know, imagining showing up up there and going, Hi! Don't have a dream. Sorry, guys. Uh, thanks for coming. Um, see you another time. I do appreciate you coming out, though. I'm sure parking was a bitch. But yeah. thanks for coming out, everybody. That was sweet. So, sorry. No good dreams this last month, so <laughs> I have nothing to report. Well, it's another grand opportunity to rip open the digital mailbag and see what people have to say. There's been quite a few opinions flying out there. Um, no shortage of opinions on, on, on the rape joke oh, yeah. quandary, yeah. but uh, I feel secured of being on the right side of this argument. Yeah, I knew I was going to get into shit. And that, speaking of, uh, you know, we were talking earlier when we mentioned about empathy and stuff like that and making choices. Yes. I knew that was the topic that would piss people off, uh, at least a good chunk of people. And Man, I just, I, w- I never, I never get it. I never get it. I never get it. And they want to scream First Amendment and all that. And it's like, yes, of course. You have the right. You don't have to use it. You don't have to implement it at this time. It's not the time, place, or topic ever. You know, I thought it was pleasant. I had a few email interactions with people who are love the show. They disagreed on that particular topic. And 
We started out a little edgier, and then after a few emails back and forth, it was a very pleasant discussion, you know, I mean, they mostly understood where I was coming from and just slightly disagree in emphasis and I definitely understood you know it was we understood each other and um, we we just put the emphasis in and a lot of the emphasis depend on who you are around you know take somebody like Joe Rogan you know if you have been around as he did mention on uh, his show multiple times some super hardcore fairly aggressive uh, feminist around him was like yelling at him about no you can't talk about this you can't talk about that you can't of course your reaction is going to be fuck it i talk about whatever i want and you're gonna because you're pushing back against a certain vibe that comes your way if you never have to deal with that your reaction is going to be completely different because you're not reacting to that audience it's kind of like you know if you are around the the craziest right wingers around you nonstop, you're gonna see that as a problem and you're gonna address that if you are around people who are not crazy right winger but they are just as annoying for different reasons your emphasis will be different in terms of politics you know you'll be like it's fucking annoying you know like take somebody like tad russell you know he lives in academia he's around uh, lots of super liberal people and uh, he disagree with right-wingers a ton, but they are not even part of his universe. You know what I mean? They, he doesn't interact with them on a regular basis. Yeah. He does interact with some people who are very liberal and they are very annoying. And so that's going to be to him the enemy. You know, he's like, fucking liberal crap. Da, 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 da. And it's not because, again, it's a matter of emphasis. If you put him in the middle of right-wingers all day long, he'll quickly switch his tone because obviously you're reacting to what's around you and what kind of uh, messages you're getting all day long. So I think that's part of it. But in any case, get into the actual questions <laughs> for... <laughs> that wasn't even in the mail. That was yeah. just in the air. Exactly. Get into actual question. Uh, I believe Diva is the name. Um, again, I fuck it up anyway, so sorry, probably. Ask me about how do you feel religion, how important basically religion is to the average individual? Uh, is religion necessary for mankind continued existence? Should it be abolished? Can a spirituality exist without religion? You know, we're dancing around those topics basically, right? And a lot of it is semantics, you know, it depends on how you define it. To me, spirituality is defined as a sort of a holistic philosophy of life, as um, just how you are, how you want to live, your way of life. I like the way of life because it's not colored with any either religious or, it, you know, there's no, it's what it is. It's it's your approach to life. Um, I find that... A way of life that doesn't rely on dogma, uh, so if it's a form of spirituality, if you want to call it, that's not dogmatic, I love it, that's what I dig, and yet it's open to embracing the mystery of it all. So it's not like a strictly, purely rational, 150% hardcore materialistic atheist who is like, nothing that I can touch right now exists and it's all... You know, you basically have, uh, you don't, you know that you don't know a ton about the universe. You are open to the fact that there's a lot more than we understand, even a lot beyond the material or our current scientific knowledge. And you leave it at that. So you're kind of open to the mystery of it all without turning that into some religious dogma. I love it. I like it. The problem is once you start putting a lot of people together, um, people usually want some kind of structure. In particular, when you have a lot of people together, there's that need for that structure. So more often than not, 
whatever spiritual insights got often got turned into some system of faith. And when you have a system, then very quickly tend to degenerate into dogma. That's just how it works. Jesus wants a 14,000-seat arena for Sunday services. Precisely, exactly. And that's precisely what happened to just about every other religion, right? No matter how insightful may have started, it turns into dogma in about 14.3 seconds, if not during the lifetime of the founder, definitely shortly thereafter. So, and this is not even about religion. It's about structures anything wherever you build a structure you're gonna have a bureaucracy you're gonna have rules you're gonna have how things are done how things are not done that by definition is the killer of all creativity oh yeah because then somebody's upset because they didn't get to do x because of that well we got a rule against that we can't have black sabbath party inside the rectory before the church blah, 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 blah. Well, that's not fair i helped build this thing too blah 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 and off it goes. Yeah, exactly. And that's the nature of the beast, right? It's like, you're not going to find creativity in a bureaucracy. That's just how it goes. You're not going to find creativity where there's a solid, fixed structure with its uh, core beliefs. and uh, right? Because by definition, that's not flexible enough to change with circumstances. You want something that's recognizable, that's solid, that symbol stands for these things right here. Yeah. And... Um, it's the same reason why in, uh, you're not going to find any creativity in most universities. Not because everybody involved in universities is evil and mean, lots of them, but, you know, it's also because uh, it has to become a bureaucracy in order to function efficiently, in order to make sure that you don't have the crazy professor who then does weird shit with their students and, you know, you need to put all these rules, you need to put the, the boundaries of how you do things which eliminates all the worst aspects that can happen in that scenario and also eliminates all the best ones. It just makes everything a little more average. So I feel that that's the problem with organized religion is the organized part more than anything else and uh, the insistence of fixed beliefs. People are still going to do it because it reassure them, it make them feel good, it give them a sense of place about the universe. So to me, it's just a matter of making sure that the spiritual bureaucracies that they create are as least damaging to other human beings as possible, and they actually maybe encourage them to be nice to their neighbors. That's pretty much as good as I can expect. That's why I'm not for tear up every religion. It's like, yeah, that's that's not going to happen. So No, because there aren't, there aren't soup kitchens and Catholic charities and all these things that where they actually do walk the walk and go out there and help their help fellow man. There's amazing things that happen yeah. in that regard, you know. So I don't care, you know, somebody's religious, they are not. doesn't make any difference no. to me. It's like, are you a nice person or are you not? Are you, how are you going to behave? That's the only thing I care about. You well, want to believe what you want to believe. Yeah, and, and the religious person you don't want to run into is one that's going to take you down a notch because, well, you don't belong yeah. to my team, and how the hell could I ever get along with that? In that case, fuck you, I'll punch you in the face right now. And, and speaking of fuck you, I just because you just mentioned the universities, I've been reading more and more about how the, the, the Koch brothers are financing these... Um, was economics departments mm-hmm. and all these schools. Oh, yeah. Now, is this a new trick, or is this something that's been done ever since anybody started donating money? They had something more than just their name on a building in mind. Yeah, of course. I mean, that's the business of. Uh, that's why, theoretically speaking, universities being public universities, they get the money from the state. All of that, they should be impartial. But you know, it's like everybody has the, the donors speak. Donor, where there's money, there's power. That's just Nothing how it goes. There. No, definitely. 
Speaking of um, the religion, spirituality, beliefs, somebody asked me if I believe in spirits, as in spirits, ghosts, the whole thing. Now, one of my things is I don't believe or disbelieve anything. Okay, there's only, there is what I have experienced and then there's everything else. To me, beliefs are useless. They are cages. They are like blind men musing about the nature of light. It's like, believe, what the hell is a belief? If you know it, you know it. If you don't know it, you don't know it. A belief is like, well, I don't really know it, but I would like to think that that's how it's like, shut up. You don't know what you're talking about. A belief to me is ridiculous in that sense. And again, some of you guys may have, may use the word belief with a slightly different dictionary, in which case I may completely agree that beliefs are great in your definition. But the way I'm defining it is, no, they seem like a cage to me. So as far as addressing the, having said that as a general, me believing or disbelieving anything for the matter, when it comes to spirits, ghosts, things like that, now there's my own experience, there's a ton to suggest that there's something. Uh, I've seen and experienced so much weird stuff that sometimes I hug my material three-dimensional reality very tight because I feel like there's too much out there so that I don't understand. I don't know what it means. I don't know why sometimes seemingly impossible things happen when you ask for help and other times there's just dead silence and absolutely nothing I feel. I don't even understand it a tiny little bit, which would make it a lot easier to just say, well, then it's all fake. I don't, you know, uh, it's unreal then and forget about it. But that's the fun part of the whole thing, isn't it? That we do have these weird moments where obviously you do feel somebody was definitely looking out for me that day. Somebody was definitely or Civil War battlefields are ones where you Mm -hmm. definitely feel a psychic energy and who knows what it is. It's the spirits. It's just what went down there is so heavy that it's got almost a gravitational energy to it. Because I'm with you 100%. I mean, there's too much nutty shit that's happened to just be, hell no. Oh, yeah. Big time. And uh, I had one from my dad, which is funny, because my dad is, like, so anti-anything that's not, can be seen and touched in a room. He just doesn't give a crap. He gets really annoyed with any talk that's too out there. So he's, like, the last person in the world to give you that kind of line that's more... And I remember him telling me once that he was, um, I forget, in his 20s or something. And he said how one day he was waiting for the bus at night. He was just walking, pacing back and forth at the bus stop. And he was he stopped at one spot for a while. And he, he literally, he said, he heard a voice telling him, move from here. Just go a few steps away. And so he's like, okay, I'll move a few steps. A minute later, the bus still hasn't arrived. The lamp post under he, which he was standing, the whole glass thing of the lamp fell down, hitting that spot straight on. And, you know, my dad, again, he's not a guy who's going to... He doesn't necessarily believe... He doesn't say, I believe in spirits or... He doesn't at all. He doesn't give a crap about any of that stuff. All he tells me is, huh, that one time, that thing happened. That was interesting. And leave it at that. No, it was the voice of the spirit from the other. It's like, how ah, the fuck do you know? Who knows what it was? And why did you hear it that time and not like the 57 other time when it would have been useful to know what was about to happen? <laughs> you know, it's like, who knows? But it did happen. And denying it would be just, you're a freaking dogmatic rationalist who just doesn't want to deal with the fact that the universe is weird. 
on that note let's go to another one um i actually got two or three emails it's funny how that works sometimes speaking of strange coincidence in some of the universe works yeah it happens quite often that i get uh, several emails on the same exact topic in the same month and then nobody will bring them up before or after and it's uh one of them is actually from uh, the man himself at Datsusara, Chris O'Dell, our good friend. Hashtag micro ninjas. <laughs> Absolutely. And another one from uh, listener Davy Moore. Um, Davy asks us about, uh, uh, he trains Brazilian Jiu-Jitsu and Muay Thai, he's been doing it for quite a while. He feels physically and technically ready to take his first MMA fight, which is something that these coaches are pushing him to do. The problem is, from what he writes, he sounds like a very nice guy. And he worries that he will be kind of happy for his opponents if you win. Uh, he'll be all good nature and doesn't have that ego of, I want to win, I want to win, I want to win. I'm a cage fighter, big deal. So he's got the skills, he likes the sport. He doesn't have that hardcore win or die killer instinct. Chris O'Dell, very similar thing. He said that, you know, he trained martial art for a long time. He likes it. He has fun. The problem is that he doesn't push himself with that kind of aggressive energy that sometimes is needed in martial arts. And so occasionally he noticed how some guys are able to, um, some guys that technically he's on par with, if not better, sometimes can have an edge on him because they just have this do or die mentality that give them an edge. And, uh, you know, Chris is the kind of guy who say, I hate, I hate hurting people, you know, I don't want to go too hard, but at the same time, I still, I, I like the sport, I want to practice, I want to compete, I want to do that. How do I do that? You know, am I going into the lion's den, being just lacking that aggressive thing that's needed in the lion's den or what, you know? I and can't I, wait to hear this answer. Yeah, and I totally <laughs> get it because I am exactly like them, you know. I'm not the guy who's... Um, I, I really, like, even when I'd done uh, MMA, it was kind of funny. Even if you watch it, like, the time when the first pro fight I ever done, I ended up getting top mount on this guy. I wrapped his arm behind his neck, and he's done, right? There's nowhere for him to go. And if you see my attempts at ground and pound when I'm hitting the guy, they are sad, man. I'm like, I'm gently, I'm, I'm hitting him, you know, but I'm like, kind of like, it's more that kind of hit that's like, Come on, man. Do we really have to do this? Like, looking at the ref, like, do you see this? Do, do you want me to hit this guy? It's like, he's not going anywhere. He's done, you know. And luckily, the ref was uh, a conservative one, ready to step in sooner rather than later. That's the, I, that's the thing I have the biggest problem with the whole competition is I hate that part. It just feels... Yeah, there's... I can see in the bigger fights where I guess you got to be sure he's never getting up, but there seems a lot of times where they're just beating the shit out of somebody well, who's obviously down. Well, that's the thing, though. If you are going to get into... Uh, I know exactly yeah, what they talk what about, because if you are in that environment, even in training, where clearly you don't want to hurt your training partner, so it doesn't mean you have to go hard in that sense, but if you go too soft, too like, oh, we are having a pleasant conversation over dinner, you will get squashed. Yeah. You're right. Because unless you are so technically superior, in that case, yeah, you can get away with being all mellow and soft because you're like a god playing with a child, <laughs> then yes, you, are, you can win on pure technique. But otherwise, that drive is a big deal. And I would actually venture to say it's not just a big deal for fighting, it's actually a big deal for life because the point is you do need that drive at least some of the time in real life. 
you do need that doer, not just mellow, I can go with the flow, oh, bad things happen, I'll roll with it, I'll make the best of it. That's a great skill. But you also need the, fuck no, I'm going to die before I let this thing happen because there are certain circumstances where you really can't let certain things happen. Right. So in that sense, martial art become perfect for people who are the sweet, nice ones because is your is your mental gym more than just being about picking up physical skills is about picking up mental skills that will help you in the rest of life because you are too yin to put it in Taoist terms and you need more of a yang side and you need to develop that slightly more aggressive edge to it and some of the ways how do you do it some of the ways I do it is um, there are a few Uh, watching certain fighters that I enjoy I like their style. Um, watching them fills you with a little bit of their energy. You get a li- like I watch uh, not too long ago. I watched Conor McGregor, this uh, Irish fighter who started fighting UFC. He had a couple of fights for UFC. Fucking awesome, beautiful style, very creative, and hyper, very high pace. So there's definitely an aggressive energy there that's on from beginning to end without an. And watching that, if I think of start practicing, my the way I'm gonna practice is gonna be different, you know, because I have that model in my mind. So in that sense, having certain models in mind help. Picturing, you know, it can be anything. It can be silly stuff. It can be, you know, you like the Incredible Hulk. Now you picture you are the Incredible Hulk fighting. You're not you fighting, you know. So you have that. You have an image of an energy that you want to embody. It can be an animal, it can be a force of nature, it can be a real person, it can be a comic book hero, it can be whatever that is. But you're modeling yourself after a certain energy that that particular person or animal or whatever that me embodies. So there's that. There's another one that's, in my case, more effective even, but a little borderline in the dark side. And that's imagining the person you're about to step against is somebody who's, uh, unless you stop them, they will murder your family. And then suddenly, in one second, a button has been pushed and your whole energy changes. Rather than being, let's play, let's make the best of it, oh yeah, competition is fun, is you're going to have to kill me ten times. Because killing me three times, I'm still coming for you, biting at your ankles, you know? So there's, and again, because you're not a psycho bastard, you're not going to really believe it and you go crazy on this guy and you try to kill him. It just puts you in a different frame of mind as giving you the little edge to take it more seriously. And the fact that this is do or die, not just uh, play with it. Um, some people are good at uh, not dealing with the emotional side of it. You know, you take guys like Randy Couture, for example, who approach it very analytically, very focusing on competition as a game where they are very driven to win without emotional content. They don't want to hurt the guy. They are not about necessarily, I want to hurt you. Is These are the rules of the game. I'm going to do what's needed to get there. At the end, I'll patch on the back. But, you know, they are very driven in... Uh, uh, because they have a strong competitive nature, so and that's fine, you know, if that's you, works. So sort of having this uh, unyielding determination to make sure you don't get squashed. And uh, so all of this stuff, to me, you can view it as an exercise in willpower and samurai spirit. 
You know, you're not mad at your opponent. You don't hate your opponent. If anything, you're thankful for the fact that your opponent is allowing you to train that toughness and willpower that's in you. Because at the end of the day, who fucking cares if you win or lose that match or the day in the gym or even the MMA fight? Is about the rest of your life. Is about developing the muscle for willpower and toughness that you may need, particularly if you are a kind person. You need it because you lack it, you know, because it's not there. So you do need that edge to be able to turn it on. That will empower your kindness. It's not going to take away from your kindness. So my advice is serious self-hypnosis before you go on the mat, before definitely before a fight, but even before training. And, uh, <clears throat> you know, none of this stuff is going to be there unless you put it in your mind at least five minutes before. It's like starting a fire. Uh, you're not going to do it automatically if that's not who you are. Um, you need to work at it and again work at it can be just think about it for five minutes before you start when you get there and um that's my take on the whole thing you know just because uh chris odell came up did you see where jay brown is allowing the growth of industrial hemp in california no really? he's not gonna have to import that stuff anymore Jesus. this has got to be i can't wait to talk to him about it but this was just like last week really yeah jerry brown for president man that's awesome <sighs> He's That's really cool. I love that. Cool. That was our digital mailbag. <laughs> Let's do it together. Okay, ready? We're running away from the bad, bad police. police. <laughs> okay, now you do it. We're <laughs> running away from the bad police. <laughs> I love you, baby. You just read the first one. <laughs> I shouldn't read ahead, everybody. Isabella moment. She Isabella moment. Well, one of the latest was interesting. She, we were on the toilet where we usually have some of our deepest conversations. She was sitting there getting ready to produce her bus to work. And uh, she told me that there were a bunch of ants that have fallen inside the water. And I'm like, how did that happen? You know, I stupidly dare to ask. And she looked at me and she goes, I think I knocked them out with a fart. That was the reply. So That's bold. Yeah. On that beautiful note. I know. I remember back, and this was a million years ago, of course, but the, my, my oldest one, he was the littlest, creating a giant poo snake that he was a little too enamored with and almost didn't want to part with. But, oh. you know, it was a work of art, too. You know, you're talking a foot and a half of, wow. I've seen... Uh, Time for it to go, though. Isabella, plenty of times uh, before flashing, would say goodbye. She'd go, goodbye, poo poo. See you next week. Actually, I hope it doesn't come back next week, but you know. No, no, no. That. <laughs> now, the beauty of having a daughter, sometimes you get to speak sentences that you never would imagine that you would utter in your life. One of my latest was, please put on your pretty dress and stop hitting me on the head with an elephant. So, you know, if you find yourself in a contest in which you find the need to tell somebody to put on their pretty dress and stop hitting you on the head with an elephant, I would say your life is going... I don't even know how to finish that sentence. No, I it's, think it's going pretty well. I mean, it could always be worse. It could be put my pretty dress on. Yeah, yeah. Now you really got something going. Yeah, that would be... That would complicate things a little bit, for sure. <laughs> um, oh, here's one more to throw your way along Life with Isabella. 
I woke up from, this is actually a while back, so it doesn't count for the dream segment for this month, but a while back I, w- I just woke up from this dream in which I was writing an autobiography entitled Black and Proud, which, okay, there are some issues there, but fine. And um, I woke up to Isabella, who so far doesn't say anything. I hear she's stirring and she's awake and stuff, so I go to see what's up. She look at me and she goes, you are the craziest freak I ever met in my life in a nice way you know she didn't mean it in a bad way but i was like huh you know that's how you greet me that's how the morning starts you're the great you're the greatest freak uh, no the craziest freak i ever met in my life i thought that was again good morning to you too so that was interesting now you think these are picked up from school i don't know i think they are picked up from a lot of things movies school from me probably um so those are the ones i always worried the most about is the damage i actually inflicted you know the sort of collateral stuff of her day what are you gonna do yeah 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 exactly but the the one caused by us in any case once it gets inside her brain it gets processed and we get to be spit back in such a i don't know what can you say to all this i say daughters are, are dangerous That's a fact. So now soon it will be time to to help get the children to sleep and and always nice to have a nice story to uh, ease them into dreamland. Uh, Is that our story this week? No blood, no violence. Promise. Wow. Well, certainly someone's feelings will be hurt. Sorry about that. Actually, Buddha story. As in, life story of Mr. Siddhartha Gautama. Because Buddha, you know, is a title. It's not really the guy's name. Uh, Siddhartha was his supposed first name. Gautama was the family name. Now, keep in mind, everything we're going to be saying right now is more likely than not legend. There may be some little bit of truth to it, historically. We have no way of proving it. So we'll never find the tree out in the forest somewhere. No, I mean, a lot of this stuff, some of this stuff is certainly made up, and uh, some of this stuff is probably made up. And there are probably some kernel of historical truth. But the point is, who fucking cares? Particularly in Buddhism, hardly anybody cares because Buddhism, unlike revealed religions, doesn't rely on the historical truth that it was God who really said those things or stuff like that. It's about, you know, you either like the ideas and apply them to yourself or you don't, leave them, do whatever you want. There's not... So the historical truth is not what we're after here. Is um, So keep that in mind as we go. Story goes that supposedly Mr. Buddha lives somewhere between the year 560 before Common Era to about 480 before Common Era. So Dora would have given him 80 years of life, which is pretty damn long, long life at the time. Um, so somewhere in the neighborhood of 26, 2500 years ago, somewhere around there. The, um, st- Keep in mind, again, that all the text writing about these stories, the more recent ones are like some 150 years later than the events. So um, take it as, let's talk about it as legend. And then if there's some truth to it, even better. But who knows? Story goes that the, um, there was a king in uh, northern India, Nepal, right around there, at the foot of the Himalayas, basically. And, uh, you know, back then, that uh, part of the world was divided in several different kingdoms. And 
the king found out that uh, his wife was pregnant, um, was about to have this baby. And so he asked some fortune tellers to predict the baby's future. You know, what's, gonna, what's this baby going to be like? What's going to be the deal with this baby? And the story is that some of these diviners predicted that he would, uh, he would be a big deal, but they couldn't quite read how yet. Uh, there were two options ahead for this baby. He would either become this amazing king that would unify all of India and become kind of <clears throat> the emperor of this huge chunk of land. And, you know, his father was already thrilled. He was like, I like that. You know, that's good. I dig that. <laughs> or, it's like, how do you mean or? What the fuck? Okay, what's the second chance? Or he's going to become this enlightened, amazing spiritual leader. And his partner's like, yeah, that's, that's great. So based on that, the story goes that his father, from the second mm, Buddha was born, or rather Siddhartha was born, not Buddha yet, his father tried in every conceivable way to push him toward the worldly side of things. And so his idea was to turn him away from this more spiritual crap that I don't care about. I should immerse him in everything that's physical that's tangible that's attachment to this world that the things that make you crave the here and now in that sense in a less spiritual sense and a more sense gratifying approach so what he did was to give him the perfect life you know he buddha had everything you know siddhartha growing up had everything at his disposal the best foods in the world the best this the best that he trained as a warrior was a martial artist i guess in that sense he had uh, humongous harem with all the hottest women in the kingdom, got to have sex left and right in every conceivable way, position, thing with the hottest women around. So, I mean, the guy did not have a tough childhood, let's put it that way. Good adolescence, uh, things were good once the harem doors opened up when he was an adolescent, and <laughs> he's having a blast. He's like, it's good to be the king, you know, that's the, um, the life motif. Story goes that the universe, the gods, whatever you want to listen, decide to throw a curve into this. And so as Buddha, rarely he would ever be allowed to venture out of the palace. If that was to happen, it would always be about like trying to clear every scene that was seen as undesirable from his side to not make him question the amazingness, um, like the beauty of everything around him. So the story goes that as he wanted to go out of the palace, um, some things that he had never been exposed to he will become exposed to during this journey. It's what in Buddhism they refer to as the four sides. So the story goes that he goes out and on one day the um, gods intervene and, uh, you know, his attendants were supposed to have cleared the way of all old people and instead um, Siddhartha ran into this old, decrepit dude full of wrinkles and nasty looking and and he's like, hey, what the fuck is that? That's just <laughs> gross. And then they explained to me, yeah, you know, that actually happens to everyone. And he's like, I'm sorry, to everyone? Certainly you don't mean me. Yeah. And my concubines are going to look like that? Whoa. My hot, juicy, wonderful concubines are going to look like that? I'm going to look like that? Oh, yeah. Fuck no, that's a bad day, man. This is not a happy day for Mr. Buddha to be. 
So that happens. He's pretty bummed out and then goes out another day. And uh, among what he finds this time is somebody sick, 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 extremely diseased in this some nasty, brutal picture, like smallpox kind of disease that really mess you up. And again, he's like, what the hell is that? That's not even old. They are young and yet they're almost like, well, yeah, disease exists and it does this and that to you. And he's like, man, all this shit that I never found out about, I don't like it. Next time around, he runs into a corpse. And they're like, why doesn't he move? Why doesn't he get up? And what's wrong with this one? And he's like, well, you know, again, that's what happens. Sometimes you get old, you get sick, uh, you can die. All of this really spoiling Buddha's to be mood. And again, keep in mind, this is a legend, okay? In the sense that nobody, of course, nobody really believed that the dude was lock, locked up in his palace like Rapunzel or something and never got to... By the way, my <laughs> daughter made me watch Tangle like 57 million times. I like the movie, but shit. In any case, sorry, back to Buddha. Buddha did not have long, flowy blonde hair, but um, he... So the story is not that literally this is true. Is that It's a metaphor. It's just to say that during his early life, uh, Siddhartha was so involved into the physical world that the thing that make put a dent into the physical world, the fact that it's transitory, the fact that nothing lasts, the fact all of the things had not entered his consciousness yet. And instead, in by his later 20s, he starts thinking about it. And he starts feeling the weight of it all and is really spoiling his mood. That's a little more... You know, psychologically, you can see that way rather than literally the gods put these things that he had never seen in his path. But by the way, we just said three things. We said four. What's the fourth side? The fourth side is that on the last day when he's like, what now? What am I going to see now? He ran into a monk and they explained to him about these guys who sort of give up attachment to the world and go off to meditate, find a solution to the amount of suffering and misery that there is in the world. And S- Suffering? Yeah, by now he's pretty miserable because the thing is, now even when he goes back and he's hanging out with the best food, the best ganja in the world, I'm sure at the foot of the Himalayas, the hot women, all of that, he's like, yeah, this is nice. I still can't help looking at them and knowing that all of them are going to turn into ugly eggs and die, and I'm going to. This is really spoiling everything. Uh. Shit, this is not good. So he can't enjoy all the amazing stuff he had at his disposal anymore because he knows that it's just a matter of time before it's all gone. That's true. And so the story goes that, by the way, in the meantime, he had uh, taken a wife, he had a young kid, and, you know, he doesn't have to worry about providing for them because he's the son of the king, so they're going to be taken care of. But he feels that he's now uh, one step away from shooting himself, well, two steps away because I guess they haven't invented guns so that would be a problem if you want to shoot yourself but yeah but uh, you know he's miserable and he needs to find a solution so he leaves his wife and kid behind he leaves the kingdom behind he leaves everything behind escape during the night and go off he had tried before taking this extreme measure he had tried to study philosophy you know jhana yoga that was popular in uh, some schools in Hinduism trying to find and they say that he becomes insanely brilliant. He has this super sharp intellect, but he finds no peace in it. He's like, okay, now I'm smarter than I was before. Big fucking deal. I'm still miserable. 
he tries all the rituals that were typical of Hinduism of his times, but A, he's grossed out by some of the animal sacrifice that Hinduism practiced at the time, and B, again, yeah, I know the rituals now, they do nothing to make me happier. So he's looking for something that will make the suffering cease, and he hasn't found it through philosophy, he hasn't found it through um, religious rituals of his own life, and so he's like, hell, I'm going to try to become a wandering monk like these guys and see if that does anything. So he joins this group of guys who are roaming the countryside, living only of um, people giving them food on very little and meditating all day and do all this stuff. These guys are hardcore ascetic people. They just strict self-denial, very little food, very little starving the body, like the exact opposite of self-indulgence, right? And Buddha figured, well, if this is the way to go, I'm going to do it harder than anybody has ever done because I want to get to that place of happiness. And he gets to the point where they say his, uh, his practices are so intense over a long period of time that when he sits down to meditate, if he, say, if I, if he put his hand on his stomach, he can feel his spine through it. So, in other words, the guy is this close to dying because these self-denying practices have gone so hard that he's this close to dying. That's why all the images that you see of, like, the big fat Buddha, that's a Chinese statue, and it's based on the idea, you know, like most societies that didn't have much food, being fat was a sign of prosperity, of good luck, so that's why they make it that way. It's nothing to do with what the actual guy would have looked like the actual guy would have looked like freakishly scrawny even after he put on some weight later down the road but he would have been from deadly thin to pretty scrawny in any case at one point he passes out and if he wasn't for a villager who come to his rescue and give him to drink let him eat something he would have died right then and there so by the time he comes to he's like you know what this doesn't fucking work either. I tried it. I tried it harder than anybody could possibly try it, and it didn't work. So bring me some food, please, because that just didn't do it. He doesn't go back to, like, full self-indulgence, but it's like a middle road. It's like, I'm not going to deny myself. I'm not going to overdo it where I'm attached to all these worldly things, but I'm not going to deny myself either. I'm just going to do what's needed. In he decides to go off and meditate on his own, and push this um, his approach will be through meditation mainly and the story goes that in the course of this one meditation where he sits under this tree the body tree the tree of enlightenment he sits under this tree start meditating and um, it's very similar to the Jesus story in almost eerie fashion there's like this triple temptation much like Jesus off in the wilderness for 40 days fasting and praying the devil appeared to him, this three temptation, Buddha story 500 years earlier, by the way, triple temptation right there, uh, hot goddesses coming his way to seduce him, scary things, you know, all sorts of stuff. And he remained unmoved by all of it, remained focused. And the story goes that something happened and he breaks through and achieves enlightenment. The last little bit that the demons are trying to throw his way is like, Okay, clap, clap, clap. You're enlightened now. Good job. That was sweet. But really, do you really think you can go teach somebody else how to do this? Did you see what you had to go through to get to this point? I mean, come on, right? I mean, enjoy your enlightenment, but... You're alone again. You're alone again. 
don't try to teach it to anybody. And Buddha's like, yeah, you know, yeah, that may be true, but it's not like I have anything else to do, so might as well try. You know, <laughs> if they get it, they get it. If they don't, they don't. I don't care, but why not try? So the rest of his life, Buddha is going to become this uh, wandering teacher for the next half of his life, 40 plus years, where he'll travel around, meditate, do his stuff, and then teach partially through words, partially practices of what um, he develops in a way a system to to become a Buddha. Because that's the point. I mean, when one of the things that some of the first people who run into him and they see that there's something different about this guy, this guy is unlike anyone else, they look at him and they ask him, like, are you a god? It's like, no, I'm not a god. No, not a god. Are, are, are you an angel? No, not an angel. Saint? Not a saint. Um, it's like, what the fuck are you then? Sorry, but, you know, you're different from everyone else. If you're not a god, you're not an angel, you're not a saint, what are you? And uh, Buddha's answer was, I'm awake, which became his title. Buddha becomes awakened one. So the difference in that sense, Buddha is not something completely removed from the human realm in that sense. He's uh, the only difference between a Buddha and the regular human being is that Buddha is going through life with his eyes open and the regular human being goes through life with his eyes closed. Siddhartha had gone through life with his eyes closed most of his life and then at one point he opened them. That's all that happened. That's what makes him Buddha. So Buddha is not a... Anybody can become a Buddha. And that's part of the point of what he does, is lay down a path, lay down a methodology to get to that place. Not to worship him. Who fucking cares? Now you worship him. Well, good for you. Does that make your life better? No, it doesn't. He's how to be in that state of consciousness. And so that's a story. The story goes that then he... um, ran into some of this some of the guys that he used to hang out with when he was in a hardcore self-denying who are pissed with him they feel that he is too weak that he broke with the path and all of that but then when they chat with him they say you know what no you're fucking right you got it and they become some of his first disciples and follow that and uh, the core of um the core of Buddhist ideas, like the f- basic, basic, there are many, many things, but the core message that he was passing to them when he started uh, teaching them what he saw as, what he has learned through this process was in Buddhism, they call it the Four Noble Truths, which is a very flamboyant, the Four Noble Truths. So the fuck is that? I mean, that may have worked in like the 2,500 years ago today, just sound stupid, <laughs> but... But the Four Noble Truths are actually, despite their stupid name, they are actually really interesting stuff. And they are very simple. They are, it's kind of like a good doctor diagnosing the disease and figuring out what causes it and what's the cure. Four Noble Truths in a nutshell are these. The first one is a statement. Some people translate it, life is suffering. They make it sound like Buddhism is this very negative, uh, war-denying, life sucks kind of way. It's not. His life involves a lot of suffering. Life, there's a whole lot of suffering in life. Undeniable. That's a fact. That just, you know, the that's step one. Where does all this suffering come from? What's causing it? Uh, suffering, and again, bad translation. Some people say suffering originates from desire, which make it sound like you shouldn't have desires. Again, stupid. Yeah, you don't desire anything. Life is freaking boring and there's just no point. It's more like 
suffering originates from attachment to one's desire. Meaning, you can have desires, of course. Anyone who's alive has likes some things and doesn't like others. That just goes with being alive. The problem is that if your happiness is wrapped up about all your desires coming through, good luck, because reality is not going to cater to your desires. So really, it's about attachment. Is uh, You can have all the desires you want, just as long as you don't let your emotional stability be wrapped up on their fulfillment. So the logical third step to this is that the way to stop suffering is by stop this attachment to desire, by attachment to wanting things to be a certain way. And then the fourth step is there's a way to do it, what he refers to as the eightfold path, which is how he breaks down the steps needed. In many ways, like the key to Buddhism is the whole idea, the key problem is this idea of impermanence of all things. Nothing lasts. So attachment to anything in a constantly changing world in which nothing lasts is a recipe for misery. Because whatever you're attached to is going to go through your grasp. You're not going to be able to hold on to it. No matter and the tighter you hold, the worse is going to end up. So that's going to happen anyway. But the difference is in one case you're going to be 50 times more miserable than if you are able to, if not eliminate attachment, which sound like a very lofty goal that I don't know how realistic that is for 99.9% of most people, at least lessen attachment, which is probably more doable than eliminate. Um, well, look at Arthur last time. I mean, even he agreed that, you know, I like having a watch, but I don't need 12 of them. Right. But I might as well have a nice one. And that all seemed to gel pretty nicely. Absolutely. And that's exactly known. Uh, and by the way, we're referring to an episode that we actually haven't released. So it's oh, going to be the shit, next one up for you guys. Well, next time you can catch up. <laughs> yes. But uh, <laughs> this one is going to come up before. But yeah, there's that element. And it clearly is a lot easier said than done when it comes to, you know, objects. Sure, you can pull it off. When you start talking about people you love, it's a lot harder, you know, not to have. How do you not have attachment? Again, you do have attachment. You just try to have more focus on the here and now than on the future because there is no future and so the more you emphasize the wanting things to last forever there's nothing wrong with that it's sweet it's understandable everybody wants it that way but it's just not the way life is designed so take it up with the screenwriter of life because they are not down with that plan so buddha's approach is about lessening attachment if not the right eliminating it um his thing was, um, and I mean, some of this stuff is funny because you see how mm, it works in the way you see it in a, you can think of a lot of daily life examples of uh, this type of stuff. Think of like any time when people badly want to things to be a certain way. Think of like, look at weddings perfect recipe for misery right everybody's always like it's supposed to be the way and the centerpiece and the dress and the guest and the and and instead your father is throwing up because he got too drunk and is uh, ah the worst day of my you know there's all that drama surrounding the how it's supposed to be when is that the majority of people decide to off themselves statistically speaking with unfailing regularity during holidays people kill themselves at a higher rate than any other point of the year. Why? Because they expect the holidays to be a certain way. 
It's the holidays I'm supposed to spend them with my lovely family. And instead, I'm alone and miserable because they've all left me and this shit happened. Ah, life sucks. I'm going to shoot myself. It's... Life is the same all the rest of the year, but it's that time because you want it so badly to be a certain way that you are the difference between your desires and your attachment to how you want things to be versus how they are mess you up. Same thing with, you know, Valentine's Day. Who is the day? It's like, fuck that stuff. You know, it's like painful. It's absolutely. Or, I mean, something that everybody goes through. There are exceptions to that, but think about the first time people have sex. Overwhelmingly, most people are bummed out because they're like, really? I spent how many years thinking about this stuff and hearing about it and all of that and I expect it to be this magical thing that makes the sky open up and, and that was it? Shit. I got tricked. But you get to try again. Exactly. It's like by the second, third, fourth, fifth, seventh, eighth, three hundred time, whatever people need. The point is once they relax a little and they are not anymore with this uh, expecting the big show and all this stuff to happen and they are allowing things to be what they are rather than projecting with expectations, anticipation, wanting things to be something else that anti-nation since we have those. The, um, then... Then you, when you relax, you're like, oh, 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 I get it now. Not this so is awesome. <laughs> but it's awesome when you're not so damn attached about how you want it to be. When you are more natural about it, when you let things flow rather than when you are just... Uh... So this kind of stuff, I mean, this whole idea that attachment to how you want things to be is the recipe of mi- for misery... Is not a religious concept in a sense that you have to believe in angels and revealed truths and you just look around you and that's how it is. It's just very simple, really. It's um, And that's kind of one of the things I dig about certain aspects of Buddhism is that it doesn't require belief per se. There are a lot of things that if you just look at reality, they are right there in front of you. And uh, that's the appealing part in my mind to a lot of this. Now, a couple of... Oh, go ahead. How, how would Buddha address our question from the mailbag um, when it's time to get revved up and be competitive? Well, that's the other thing. I don't fucking know because I don't know that the character of Buddha is, is he real yeah, historically. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I have no idea. You know, it's like there's... Plus, there are seven million versions that are... At, words that are attributed to Buddha that have been written hundreds of years later. So who the hell what the guy was really like? Yeah, yeah. And ultimately, who cares? Because you're not him anyway. So it's about you becoming your own Buddha rather than what you would have done. Mm, what he would have done we don't know so project whatever you like on it and then call it Buddha and we're good <laughs> you know it's like is uh, you know you have, want to have a street fighting Buddha you know as long as it doesn't totally contradict the basics of Buddhist philosophy we're good and now one of the basics of Buddhist philosophy is non-injury of not hurting any living things as much as humanly possible so yeah. that may be complicated in some fields but hey you know the um, yeah, but a game is a game at that point. So, you know, if both participants know what's right. going on, he probably wouldn't be upset. But you you were fool enough to step in there. Did you think you weren't going to catch one in the eye? You know? Tonight, Buddha in the cage. <laughs> yeah, you have that. Um, 
The guy, by the way, was very radical because he took disciples from every caste system. You know, India was such a caste conscious society where it was very radical to take lower classes. He made no division, you know, whereas traditional Hinduism argued that you have to be reincarnated progressively in higher and higher classes before you can become enlightened. So just do your life as a peasant and then next time we can introduce you to some ritual and then to this. Buddha argued that's all bullshit. You have uh, any... Buddhist, huh? Yeah, it's like everyone can become enlightened here and now. Uh, it's easier in some circumstances than others, but um, everyone, there's no... and. Even more radical, he accepted women as disciples, which was a big wow. no-no in Hinduism of his times. Now, how open he was to women, heavily debated, because there are some very misogynist schools of Buddhism that have tried in every which way to make Buddha regret this. And be, but, but the point is, he did take a crazy radical step, and depending on who you believe, more or less radical, because that's one of the things that happens. Even something as radical as opening up to women... As Buddhism spreads in a lot of super patriarchal countries, they're not going to like that part so much. They're going to start taking pieces away of it and figuring out a way to turn Buddhism misogynist. Like anything else, people make up their own thing. But that's what happened over and over again, isn't it? As it spread, it had this incredible capacity to be almost viral where I'm not going to kill the mother cell. I'm just going to adjust some internal workings to uh, adopt. And then the next thing you know, you have all these crazy uh, combinations. Yeah. Absolutely. And that's the nature of every religion, right? It's like as it spreads, people make it whatever they want to be. But the point is, he did some very radical thing. He denied the authority of the sacred text, the Vedas. He denied the rituals that uh, characterize all of Hinduism denied the power of the priests uh, he about the existence of gods and stuff he just said he doesn't care he he didn't deny the gods he said yeah there are powerful spirits out there but they're not there to help you or damage you they're just they have their own shit to worry about so they are not gonna save you only you can do it for yourself so i mean all of that is uh as radical as it could be and it's a testament to how open-minded hinduism of his times was the fact that nobody just drives a hatchet into his skull for saying these things but they let him do his thing and whatever you know he's just gonna be a challenge to hinduism but one that they can live with uh as a side note by the way after 40 plus years of going around teaching this and that one day somebody gave um because he lived off just the food that people give to him and one day somebody picked up some mushrooms and turned out that, oh, they fucked up. They picked the wrong mushrooms and not the magic ones. They oh. picked some poisonous mushrooms. And so Buddha has his meal. And then he's like, oh, damn. The guy is like, oh, double them. I just killed Buddha. That can be good. That really can be good karma. That would weigh and, heavy. Uh, Buddha's like, eh. Don't worry, it's all right. I'm 80. I've done my stuff. I'm, uh, and in his dying speech, as he's dying, he tells uh, his disciple one of the last messages that he passed out to his, his disciples is the notion of it's up to them to work for their own salvation. Salvation, again, not necessarily in a heaven and hell kind of thing. Salvation is in rescue yourself from suffering. It's a message that's all about self reliance, no one can do it for you. Buddha doesn't appoint any successor, anybody who's the head of the Buddhist community from there on is about, you know, you have a Buddhist community, other people that you can rely on and help each other and all of that. But other than that, 
ultimately only you can do it for yourself. The community can help, but again, it's uh, if you don't do it, no one else will. Which is a tough message to hear because a lot of people would much rather have, you know, yeah, that's nice, but can you give me some gods that I can appeal to so that they can save my sick goat so I have all... And that's not what Buddha gives you. So it's a fairly tough message for a lot of people to swallow because this this uncompromising self-reliance and the fact that it all is on your shoulders. Ooh, scary. Lots of people don't like that kind of responsibility. It's funny. I I just watched a thing about the the overview effect that these astronauts get when they go up and they see the planet from way far away and is its own separate thing floating in space that they have the very similar response that what it teaches you is that there's nobody coming to save us from ourselves at the last moment and we have to take care of these situations ourselves so here you are 2,000 years later the same sort of message evolving so go out you got homework to do develop empathy find out for people around you the how they are for who they are and know what you are projecting in your mind and uh, along the way become enlightened go for it Now that you guys are on your way to becoming enlightened and uh, Buddhas, you may still need t-shirts. And you may not be attached to a drunken Taoist t-shirt, but you may like sporting one. Yeah, wait till you get one. That attachment thing's going to be a big problem. Exactly. And, uh, <laughs> <laughs> shit, I'd become a Buddha and now the ruined. drunken Taoist... It's ruined. Yeah, that's messed Stupid it up. t-shirt. Yeah. So if you need one of our t-shirts, uh, please email um, my email is in the episode notes. Send me an email and I'll check for you regarding size and color and all the good stuff and price, depending on whether you're in the US or outside of the US, all that kind of stuff. Thank you very much to Daisy House Music for providing our wonderful soundtrack. Uh, thank you to Cold Steel for having sent some amazing knives. And there's a link in the episode notes to their website if you guys are interested in some of those. And um, other ways to support the show, the Amazon link. Please, 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 if you guys shop on Amazon in any way, shape, or form, use our link, and Amazon give you give us a kickback without charging you one dime more. Um, the obvious way to support the show, donations. And uh, the honor that you get is me fucking up your name when I read it, but... Let the pottering begin occasionally I get some right most of the time I don't so this time we have uh, we had a longer break from the last so we have more people donating Charles Hale Christer Eriksson sound like a very proud Viking from Sweden cool okay that's weird I'm not sure what the nickname is about and I don't dare to ask but Timmy Tampons Hiber or Hiber not sure wow no questions asked. None. <laughs> Andrew Malek, uh, Kendall Blair, Danny Skinner, Jesse Correa, uh, Lindsay Davis, Luke Sarau, uh, Blake Owens, 
Patrick, your last name. Patrick Giogin. Okay, you try. Giogin is what I would come up with from Ireland. I don't know what we'd call it. Do you say Giogin? Giogin? Yeah. I have no idea. It's a cool last name. It looks good, but. I mean, it could be Giogehigan. Yeah, I have no clue. Which is a shape. Ben uh, Haggy. What do you think, Haggy? I'd go Haggy because Haggy would be a bummer. So Haggy, maybe where you go with that one. That could be. Nice. Terry McLennan. Terry McLennan. Okay, I can do that. Jason Small. Now, one man with either... There are two options about the next man. Either A, his parents hate him. B, he hates me because he asked me to pronounce his entire name. His entire name is more or less longer than our episode. And I have no idea how to pronounce any of it, but we'll try. So you can get the front. What do you say? Orion? That's Orion. Orion, Sri Malakai, Ferreira, Lawrence, Geokerman, Stout, Tebbenkamp, Benny, Filaroska. Jesus. His parents. No, Jesus, by the way, was not part of the name. It's just my exclamation after I got done with it. Orion was great. That'd be a cool name to have. That kind of fell apart. Sorry, Benny. And um, Barbarella Cedrak. You guys are awesome. Thank you so, so much for donating to the show. That's very, very sweet. And uh, if you guys can donate, don't shop on Amazon, live in a cave, but you still use iTunes to download. If you can please review us on iTunes, that would be very, very sweet. Takes you about 30 seconds to do that. And it still helps promote the show. And we really appreciate it. And please keep up with the Kiva stuff. Unbelievably, uh, with only about two months in, we've got $2,000 of loans laid out with our own listeners. We're going to make Bolelli get one here very shortly. Nice. Um, but, I, I, you know, with year one on its way into year two, I want to throw the challenge out there that by this time next year we get that up to about ten grand. Because the beautiful part of it all is you, you donate the $25 once, it all comes back to you, and you can just keep dropping it again and again and again. And it's a pretty awesome thing. So everybody who's joined in, that really kind of blows me away that it's taken off that quickly. And the free loans are still available to start you up. So richimon1 at gmail. Oh, that's not it. It is therichimon at yep. gmail.com. Uh, richimon1 is the Twitter handle because someone took it and doesn't want to give it back. But Anyway, guys, thanks so much. I uh, really appreciate just you guys checking it out and getting involved absolutely and um, thank you to Evan who hasn't been around here but he has been doing all the behind the scenes work to help us put the episodes out so thank you Evan so much and uh, thank you Rich we'll uh, roll with you guys another day And so ends another awesome episode of the Drunken Taoist Podcast. Be sure to keep your ears peeled for another mind-expanding episode coming soon. We'll be tweeting you as soon as they come out. You can keep track of Daniel at dbolelli. That's D-B-O-L-E-L-L-I. And you can find me on Twitter at Richimon1. That's R-I-C-H-I-M-O-N, the numeral one. See y'all soon.
Get back to work.